Hello, hello. Welcome back, leading woman in tech. It's Tony here from TonyCollis.com, your career leadership bestie. How are you doing? How is your week? How is your October? Or was I to start with that one? I genuinely mean that, by the way, ladies. Like, write to me, let me know, email me, DM me. I don't care. Like, I like to know how life is going for all women in tech because you're all extraordinary. Anyway, um, a few updates before we get into today's topic, which is all about decision making. But there is a very important thing that has happened in the last week, in case you haven't heard. Doors to Lit Up Leadership Academy are officially open. Okay, I am so sorry for that little, like, don't know what that was. Apologies. Well, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> this is my life's work. Like, this is the third time we've opened the doors. This is now a fully-fledged membership program because I've realized that some people need a lot of time in there. Others just need one or two months in there. Um, so you can join for one month and then just stay as long as you want to. Cancel at any time. Not kidding. So this is the fastest way to accelerate your career, by the way, ladies. But this is the only program of its kind designed to accelerate women in tech, their leadership, their influence, step into your dream leadership career and break through the glass ceiling. And it's it's genuinely, it brings together all the leadership stuff that you may get on a traditional leadership program, some stuff that I've never seen in any leadership program that I know I needed on the way to the top, such as like what executive presence really is, a whole load of stuff that we experience as women in tech, and all the stuff you need in order to actually build your career, not just the leadership side of it. I bring all that together. I haven't seen anything else like this out there. It's certainly the only leadership program I'm aware of for women in tech, designed by a woman in tech, that would be me. <laughs> it, it's just, it, it just brings together so much. It brings together everything I do with my one-on-one -on -one clients into something that is far more accessible. So if that excites you, if you are ready to join a program, join a community of women that helps you re get really clear on where you want to go in your career, helps you put in place the steps that you need to be taking, make sure you know what skills to develop and be strategic about that instead of spending yet another year just thinking about what you want. It helps you understand how to set and hold to ruthless priorities so that you actually feel good about the progress you're making. You can work more strategically. You want your team of being more strategic too because this isn't just about you. It's about the impact you make, which requires your team if you have one. And if you don't, how to get one. It helps you stop spending so much time on management and leadership because when done exceptionally well, leadership and management actually become easier and take less time so you can get on with the rest of your job. It helps you expertly communicate with stakeholders, other executives, future employers, investors, helps you figure out how to get onto that stage and shout from the rooftops about how amazing the work you are doing is without being braggy, right? And by the way, even if you're a total introvert, which uh, I am, and I do a podcast, right? So you can get over that. <laughs> um, if you're an introvert who second guesses what's inside your head all the time, maybe you've had a bad experience of poor communication in the past, maybe you struggle with thinking on your feet, like this is it, like this is truly it. We talk about executive presence, possibly the single biggest topic I work with with my clients because it's like a knife edge for us. It's, there is a, this whole big field for men, right, where they can mess up a little bit and, and they get away with it. For, for us as women, we have a knife edge that we have to walk. Now, the beauty of that, the upside, because I'm an optimist, is that when we figure out how to walk that knife edge, we are doing everything so expertly well that we outshine everybody around us. Which is one of the reasons why 
um, women are now recognized as being better leaders than men. It's not because women are somehow innately better. It's because when we succeed, the odds are so stacked against us that when we do succeed, we're freaking amazing. (laughs) I'm not kidding. And I want to give you that shortcut to success. I want to show you what it takes to be that amazing. Rather than you spending the next decade floundering and trying to figure it out by yourself, I did not figure this out by myself. I just want to put that out there. I spent a lot of time educating myself. I spent a lot of time with mentors and coaches And I figured it out after getting all of that help and insight. I don't think, actually, 99.99% sure, nobody figures this out by themselves. People just don't talk about how much help they get on the way. So let's change that. Actually, the other thing I really want to make really clear to you is that all top executives invest in their career development personally. And again, that's not something I see talked about enough. I've worked with literally hundreds of people now. I know this to be true. Men are 70% more likely than women to invest in their leadership development with personal money. And they're more likely to ask their boss to help invest in it too. That has got to be part of the gender gap problem that we're talking about here. So it's time to level that playing field. So if you want to join me inside Lift Up Leadership Academy, it is literally the only program of its kind. It is extraordinary. I've had the most amazing feedback from the women who've already gone through it. Doors are only open for two more weeks because then I am doubling down. I'm focusing on the women in the academy, working with them, developing their careers. I would love for you to be one of them. If that sounds like a great idea to you, head over to tonycollis.com forward slash academy. You can find out all the juicy details, all the stuff that's in there. There's a video if you want to listen to me talk about it, just read about it all. If you plan to ask your employer for support, which I fully support you doing, It's not for everybody. There are sometimes really good reasons to not ask for support. Maybe your number one focus is to get out of your current company. That might be a good reason for you to invest in yourself. But if you do want to ask your your boss for support, there is a guide you can download. You don't have to put in an email address. You can literally just download a PDF guide that gives you a template email. It helps you prep for the conversation. Um, It just really helps you understand how to convince your boss to invest in your professional development. Go to tonycollis.com forward slash academy, find out all those details. And of course, I'm here to help you, whether it's with understanding if the academy is the right thing for you or something else needs to be in place for you, which might not even be me. Like I just, I'm just going to say upfront, the best advice might be, I'm not the right person to work with, or my programs aren't the right thing that you need right now. And I'm more than happy to tell you that. So if you're wondering and you want to get some clarity, you can head over to bit.ly forward slash coffee with Tony. That link is in the show notes. It's also on the Academy website, tonycollis.com forward slash Academy. Just book a friendly chat with me, zero obligation, and we'll help you figure out what is the right thing for you right now. Sometimes the best thing to do is to wait, but let's get you out of uncertainty and into certainty, which is kind of what we're talking about today, funnily enough. We're talking decision-making which is kind of stepping away from uncertainty into certainty, right? You're listening to the Leading Woman in Tech podcast, where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech, the techniques, tips, and strategies you can use to become a standout leader. I'm your host, Tony Collis, tech leadership coach, strategist, and coffee lover. And in each episode, I share my best insights designed to make your success not just simple, but inevitable. Whether you're on the way to the C-suite, an emerging leader, or a budding entrepreneur, this is the podcast you need to become a lit-up leader and turn your tech passion into a career you love. Now, of course, 
I'm talking about it in the context of your leadership, but it applies in every aspect. So let's dig in a little bit. I've had a lot of conversations recently with clients about making big decisions in their organizations. It seems to be the the season of decision making. I don't know why. I, well, I do know. Quite a lot of organizations are ramping up their next year's planning. They're even planning out 2023, some organizations. Um, certainly trying to wrap up things coming for the end of the year. It's kind of that season is upon us. Things have wrapped up over the summer and it's now full steam ahead to wrap out the year, right? And after all, decision-making is a core part of being a leader. The further up you go in your career, the more decision-making responsibilities sit on your shoulders. And yet, the less support you have and the more ambiguity you are going to face. In fact, one of the hardest things is learning how many of the decisions should rest with you, how many should be passed to your boss, how many should be passed downwards to your direct reports. The lines are basically never clear unless you ask. And if you need to ask your boss, you run the risk of not knowing your job. Kind of like catch 22, right? And then there is the ambiguity piece, the uncertainty. Because as you rise up the ranks in your career, the decisions are going to become less clear with less clear outcomes and parameters, less data. You aren't going to have all the data. And of course, those are also the decisions that are bigger. There are also decisions which impact people. Now, earlier on in your career, you're unlikely to be asked to fire someone or to get rid of an entire business line. But as you rise up the ranks, you will be making decisions that impact your workforce, both directly and indirectly. You might have to let go of people for good reasons and for bad reasons, and that's never easy. If it is easy, we need to have a chat about your, about how you feel about other people. Sometimes it feels like the obvious thing to do. There's no choice. But that doesn't stop it hurting. I've had one client recently. She's had to let go of like three people in just a few months for um, inappropriate behavior. Um, actually, I've had several clients do that, to be fair. And like, it's always been a no-brainer. There is no ifs and buts about it. Like, it, it, can't, it cannot not be done. It still hurts it's still hard you're still realizing that this is somebody's career that you're kind of throwing something at they've done it to themselves but you're the one pulling the go button right and it, that's hard at some point you are going to be making decisions that are going to be hard you probably already are now many of my clients actually come to work with me because of some of the symptoms that come from decision making tension that tension it builds into our careers whether it's a boss who has views of you not being assertive enough or being too assertive or too aggressive or lying awake at night ruminating on your decisions. Maybe you have a boss who isn't trusting your decisions and second guesses everything and questions everything. Maybe you have a boss who isn't trusting your decisions, who questions everything, who changes your decisions without uh, telling you why. There are, there are lots of things that we can go on there. Maybe you're second guessing yourself all the time. Maybe you feel backed into a corner because you're concerned about upsetting others with decisions. One of the very first decisions many of my clients bring to me is actually whether to invest in me as their coach. Sometimes it's whether to invest in a coach at all, let alone me or someone else. Um, in fact, also 50% of my clients currently pay for their own coaching. Um, I'm a big believer in that, actually, for lots of reasons. In fact, I had a conversation with somebody just last week about their company. Most of the people who've been offered coaching by their company haven't taken it up. Whereas this particular person, she's a client of mine, 
she's paid for all her own coaching and she has never missed a single session with me because she's so bought into it. So there are actually really good reasons to invest in your own coaching. And it's why, in fact, 50% of my clients currently pay for their own coaching and not their employer, not because they couldn't get funding if they asked. Some of them could do, some of them choose never to ask. But because for many of them, coaching isn't about the company, it's about them and their careers and they want control of it and not for their boss to have control of it. I've also got plenty of clients who come to me who say they want coaching and I help them prepare how to ask their boss for coaching. Actually, I refuse now to uh, be hired directly by the company without speaking to the client, potential client first, the person I'd be coaching, to make sure they are really bought in because I'm not going to work with somebody who I've never met who isn't emotionally bought into it. So that's like one of the key things you should be looking out for is how much do you want this? Okay, I'm going off track a little bit here, but all of this requires a decision. A lot like making a decision as to whether to invest in the Lit Up Leadership Academy. Go check out tonycollis.com forward slash academy. Shameless plug. (laughs) Ultimately, all of this is decisions. Do I invest in me and my career or try and figure this out for myself? Do I make this big decision for the business? Albeit with, you know, limited information. All of this is about backing ourselves and our own ability to make a decision whether or not it's playing out in the boardroom, whether or not it's about spending your own money, whether or not it's about backing yourself in front of your boss. It's about deciding we have our own backs, following our instincts and making good on an opportunity in front of us. The list of how decision-making problems crop up for us as leaders is long. It's huge. And let me just put something front and center. At some point, you're going to make a bad decision. You're probably going to make many. How bad they are, Mm, hopefully only one or two really bad ones in your career but there are going to be really bad ones chances are because if you don't make a really bad decision actually the bad decision is that you haven't done enough because you're not stepping out of your comfort zone and actually that's kind of a bad decision it's just a less obvious payout because you're just not going to go as far in your career if you actually have an honest candid conversation with any extraordinary leader They will tell you they have messed up big time at some point in their career. I certainly have. Big time. (laughs) There are things I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that happened. I'm so determined it will never happen again. You know what? I've learned so much from that experience. Ultimately, decisions and the problems around them can either be the catalyst for a magnetic, high-powered career, or they can be the fast track to burnout and being one of the 51% of women in tech who leaves the sector of technology by the midpoint in their career. And I don't want you to be one of them. Let's talk about what it takes to step forward, be assertive in an authentic way that works for us and our careers and not just for our bosses and our companies. Well, let's talk first of all about the lens of leadership and how that comes across with our decision-making. Many of us assume that the best leaders are those who can be independently and firmly decisive. The traditional hierarchical position that we view in corporate history. One person, stereotypically a man, by the way, in charge, making those tough calls, those tough decisions, making the big bucks all by themselves, right? But many of us now know, hopefully everybody listening to this podcast, that leadership comes in many other forms. And the best leadership encompasses all those forms from empathetic leaders, consensus building, servant leadership, much, much more, okay? There's so much that goes into fantastic, outstanding leadership. But one mistake I see many making is leaning into that too much. 
One of the refrains I use with my clients a lot is, this is not a democracy. Sometimes I'll throw an F-bomb in there, right? (laughs) When it's like, really like, no, no, seriously, you need to own this. Sure, consensus building, empowering leadership, which delegates decision-making, and much more are all incredibly powerful tools for great leadership. Building loyalty, building transparency, trust, all the things. But if we allow these to control our decision-making, we've gone to the opposite end of the spectrum, to the stereotypical, lonely, one-person, only decision-making style of leadership. Because that's what it is. It's a spectrum. And as with all of these things, the best way is often in the middle, somewhere in the middle at least. Some people will tell you that decisiveness is no longer an essential leadership quality. As we shift away from that old style of one person leading, making all the decisions, I disagree. I still think it is a very important leadership quality because ultimately organizations still need to move forwards. They need to compete. They need to decide what innovations and ideas to take forward and they need to make progress. They need to hire. They sadly sometimes need to let the teams go. All of that requires decisions. Sure, teams can help make better decisions. Team IQ is a whole thing that I can talk about another time if people are interested. Drop me a message if you'd like me to talk about Team IQ. Um, But ultimately, as leaders, we need to know that the buck stops with us. We need to know when to move the decision on and stop wasting everybody's time going round and round in circles, like having the same discussion over and over. And other times we need to make the decision to hold off and wait for more data and get behind your team, get your team behind that, actually, even though there is a pressure to take action. So I would argue that decisiveness as a leader has never mattered more. It's just a whole lot more complex. It is no longer decisiveness. My view is the only one that matters. It's now taking the traditional model of leadership and changing it to, I need to use my decisiveness to know when to pause, when to build consensus, when to move forwards, when to gather more data, and when to just move. It can still be incredibly lonely. This idea that, By having a more collaborative approach is less learning, it's just not true because you are still in control. The moment you give up control of all of this is the day your credibility plummets. And that's part of why a lot of us struggle with this because we want everybody to agree. We want everybody to be on board with us. And so we try and build that consensus and we're stalled because we're not actually moving forwards. And so our credibility drops and actually then it's still lonely kind of that whole damned if you do, damned if you don't. It can be a really lonely place. Now, you're also likely to rapidly get to the point in your career where you are the only one who knows what you know in your organization. That's ultimately why you have a job as a leader. You know stuff your team doesn't because you hold a bigger piece of the puzzle than any of them. All your direct reports only hold their piece of their puzzle. You hold that whole thing together. You have different information and you have different information from your boss who's that next level up and doesn't have the detail that you have in the same way that you shouldn't have the detail that your direct reports have. You are there for your abilities and your ability to bring together ideas, insights, views and make decisions with all of that information. Hence why it can be lonely and hence why you need to know when to build consensus and when to pause and when to push and when to just act. And this also applies personally. I just actually want to throw this one in here. It took me a long time to realize that my approach to my leadership actually needed to apply to my personal life too. Whether you're deciding to buy a new car, invest in coaching, or the Little Leadership Academy, or to get married, have children, 
We have decisions to make. Sometimes it's as simple as what to make for dinner. Hands up if you get to the end of the week and like, I just don't have any capacity left as to decide what to do for dinner, whether we go out, whether we eat in, I just don't have anything left over for it, right? We all make thousands of decisions a day. So how do you know which are the important ones and which are the ones you can pay less attention to? And by the way, just because they're personal doesn't mean you shouldn't pay as much attention to them. So let's dig into the decision-making process. Well, first of all, figure out straight off the bat, is this something that you need to involve you in? Is this something you need to involve other people in? Figure that one out. 10 years ago, I would have suggested that the default should be always to involve more people than just you. Because all too often, 10 years ago, leadership training was speaking about how we needed to make decisions. It was pushing us towards that only me makes decisions kind of style of leadership. A lot of leadership books were talking about that. It was the newer novel that was talking about consensus building and leadership through teams making decisions. So 10 years ago, I would have suggested you need to always bring in more people because I was pushing for consensus building decision making. Now, today, I feel that for many of us, certainly many of the women I work with, we've actually gone too far the other way to the point that it can be really crippling. So here's what I'd suggest. Understand your default style and their name for the opposite. If your default is to keep your decisions close to your chest, make them all yourself, then aim for the team input and delegation and transparency. If your default is always to involve everybody in all your decisions, start with, can I make this decision by myself? Should I actually be making this by myself? Because otherwise I'm going to hold everybody else up. Does it make sense to make this decision by myself? Ask yourself variations on that question and then allow yourself to expand outwards. Basically, start at the opposite end of your comfort zone and you'll be naturally pulled towards the middle, which is probably where you need to end up. And that applies personally to you as well. If you have this urge to always involve your family in all of your decisions, start with, can I make this on my own? Should I make this on my own? Now, this is, this is where I bring in my personal story a little bit because that was really hard for me. It was so hard for me not to involve my loved ones, in particular my husband, in everything. But I often found I'd end up wondering why I needed his approval or actually I'd have a conversation with him and then a day later I'd be like, that wasn't the decision I wanted to make. But I mean, my husband is, you know, my biggest advocate and ally, right? But, you know, I placed it out there as if this was totally up for debate when actually in my head it wasn't. And he has his own views and his own opinions. And I didn't agree to him, acquiescing because I would like to keep him happy. I'm a people pleaser. <laughs> and I'd be like, that wasn't actually what I wanted. What I had to realize was it's okay for me to make my own decisions. Now, if it's something that's going to impact us as a couple, like spending a big chunk of our money, I'll start with, this is what I'd like to do. How does that sound? More often than not, when I start with that, he might ask a few kind of sanity questions, but basically he trusts me enough that it's like, okay, if you think that's a good idea, let's do it, you know? So if you can step into that model personally, instead of the needing to appease or always needing to make your own decisions, I've seen both ways, right? I've seen women who really want to own all their personal decisions because they've had a bad experience and they never involve their partner. And then people like me who are like, oh, I just want everybody to love me more. <laughs> That's what I tell myself. And if I involve them and allow them to have their way, they're going to love me more. That is genuinely what I told myself for the longest time. Um, by the way, it's not true. You don't get more love because you involve them more. It just doesn't happen that way. But you need to come to some middle ground. We all need to trust. And that also starts with trusting ourselves.
Okay, so now that you've figured out where your natural inclinations are for involving others and how to push yourself out of your comfort zone, or rather start at the other end of the spectrum and allow yourself to be dragged towards the middle, let's talk about what next. Well, next is understand the weight of the decisions we take. Are they big? Are they small? Are they tiny? Are they so tiny they don't even feel like a decision? We make thousands of decisions a day. Most of them you don't even recognize you're making. Should I turn left or right here? Should I go and get a takeaway? Should I buy a coffee right now? Should I go to the bathroom before this meeting or after this meeting? All those things, they're all decisions. But I want you to think about the, the ones that are certainly taking up brain space. I want you to do some triage. Weigh up the size and the timeliness of the decisions you are facing. Bigger decisions typically benefit from more data, which takes time to collect. So there is some urgency, even if the deadline is further out. Although obviously not always. Sometimes big decisions, there is no data to collect. You just need to make them. And of course, there's urgent decisions and they are, well, obviously urgent. Do an urgent, important triage every week, potentially every day. And certainly the higher up you go, the more likely you are to need to do this exercise every day. If instead you just wait for it to show up in your agenda, what's going to happen is you are going to get decision fatigue, meaning you adapt the status quo or you stall on decision makings or you potentially make bad decisions. In fact, more often than not, what we do is we hold on to the status quo. There's this famous study, and I haven't actually got the data to hand here, so I'm just going to give you a rough overview of it. This famous study of parole decisions for inmates in prison, I think in Israel, could be misquoting. Anyway, kind of irrelevant. And the parole board, they had a look at the decisions throughout the day. In the morning, people were far more likely to be granted parole than in the afternoon. What was going on here was the default position when we're tired, when we're stressed, when we just don't have much left over in our decision-making bucket. The default decision is status quo. Status quo is keep this person behind bars. People were never released on parole in the afternoon. So have a think about how are you playing out your decisions? What you really want to be doing is make sure that you are looking to triage your decision making and make sure that you're doing it early in the day actually also earlier in the week train yourself into a decision making habit and train yourself into a triaging your decision making habit break that off from the actual decisions it is another layer of decisions but it's a bit like writing and editing if you try and write and edit all at the same time the whole process can take forever if you write and then you edit the whole thing takes a lot less time triage, then make the decisions, break it into those small pieces and make sure that the most important and urgent ones are done earlier in the day and earlier in the week. Then it's time to recognize where it makes sense to be more democratic and where it makes sense to be more swift and decisive. During times of stress, extreme pressure, tight deadlines, it typically makes a lot more sense to spend less time and effort involving others. Make quick, firm, unilateral decisions. In fact, often your team will benefit from it because they're quite stressed out. They want to be told what to do. This is where you really have to step into your power because it enables them to quickly and successfully address the needs at hand. But you can only get away with that for so long. If you adopt this approach and keep doing it, especially if you've had like this sense of urgency and pressure for a long time, which a lot of engineering teams seem to be under at the moment, they seem to have like have this pressure perpetually with no let up from an organization. Part of your job, if you're in charge of an engineering team, is to hold that pressure. Hold it like a steel beam across your shoulders that you do not transmit downwards. Because ultimately, what's going to happen 
if there's all this pressure that you're transmitting downwards, everybody's going to get burnt out. You're also going to have less buy-in on your ideas and decisions because you're never involving them because you feel like you can't. So it's really worth having a good look at when can you pass that downwards? When do you need to just make decisions and make sure there's a time limit on making decisions in a stressful time frame? Don't hold on to that forever. It's also worth understanding when you can empower others. This should be part of your assessment in your first 90 days after any transition, whether it's a new job, a promotion, new bosses, all those transitions we have in our careers. Decide where and when you're going to empower others. If you can, co-design a decision-making framework with your team, where you and those around you know exactly where the boundaries are for those to report to you, how they can make decisions, when things need to be escalated, how they can own them. Most important of all, make sure that you are ready to back your team, even if it isn't a decision you would have made. If you're not prepared to back your team on something, you shouldn't be delegating it, okay? You never want to throw your team under a bus. You want to trust your team to make decisions. There are very rarely really terrible decisions. There are going to be a few, but very rarely. And ultimately, just because you wouldn't do it that way doesn't mean that their way won't work. The damage you do by not backing them is huge. If you're going to delegate, really delegate. Okay, so next we need to understand what information do we really need and when are we searching for information in the hopes of gaining clarity that's possibly never going to turn up. If possible, make a decision on the scope of data collection upfront. When you've decided this is important but not super urgent, decide how much data you are going to collect before you have a yes-no branch to encourage forward progress. This will help you really put a time frame on it, really make sure that you are not procrastinating just because it feels uncomfortable. Put in place that piece of the puzzle that is, this is how we're going to wrap things up and move forwards. With consensus building in particular, it can be very easy to allow things to drag out. Or when we personally know there's a huge amount weighing on our particular decision or it's going to impact people, there's a whole people-pleasing thing, right? It can be really tempting to gather more data, not actually to really get any clarity, although that's what we're telling ourselves, but because we're pushing it out because we really don't feel comfortable making this decision because ultimately you're never going to have clarity. That is part of what you're paid for as a senior executive. There is no right way to do things a lot of the time. You're taking a punt. You're doing the best with your current data. Ultimately, you need to take action and your team needs to take action. So be ready to push you and your team forwards. So those are your key decision-making parameters. But there is one final thing you need to remember. You need to recognize that decisions are hard, especially the weighty ones. And you genuinely have a very limited capacity for decision-making every day. It is a bucket that gets refilled overnight. Doesn't necessarily refill fully if you don't get a good night's sleep and you haven't done some self-care. Sometimes you need a good weekend. Actually, sometimes you need a good holiday to refill it fully. Self-care really is a power move, ladies. And every single decision you make empties that bucket, not just the big and important ones. Whether it's whether you are choosing what to wear, yes, Mark Zuckerberg style is really a thing because he doesn't make that decision every day. There's a good reason for that. Whether or not it's what the kids are going to have in their packed lunch or whether or not you're going to buy a competitive business, they all come out of the same resource. There is not a personal resource. There's not a professional resource. It's one decision-making resource. 
It's also why, as women, we often start on the back foot compared to our male peers, because we are often responsible for far more of the household decision-making than our male peers. So we have less of our decision-making resource left over for our professional work. It's totally unfair, by the way, something we need to be changing. But all that aside, it means you need to really understand how you're using your decision-making resource every day. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to set aside time every day and every week for business decisions. In fact, I'd also like you to do this for personal stuff too, but that's kind of not the point of this episode. (laughs) Ideally, it should be at the beginning of the day and also at the beginning of the week. Now, if you are a senior leader, you probably need to do it five days a week. So what I want you then to do is to make sure that the really important ones are done at the beginning of the week after a relaxing weekend. That's super, super important. And you basically don't want to make key decisions after lunchtime. You certainly want to try and make sure the important stuff is before lunch and before the middle of the week. I'm not kidding. (laughs) So in the same way that I've told you in the past, put time in your calendar for strategy, you need to put time in your calendar for decision making. And again, 30 minutes on a Friday afternoon is basically the worst thing you can do. Now, this does actually tie in with strategies. Sometimes what we're doing is, Our strategy time is our decision-making time. Maybe it's like how we're going to execute our strategy or sometimes it is actually developing the strategy. That's all decision-making. But make sure you have time early in the week and early in the day to make it happen. It's going to allow you to be a lot more productive in your decision-making, spend less time making them, which gives you more time for other things. And you can then spend the rest of your week being reactive. I talk a lot with my clients about being proactive and reactive. There's only so much proactive mode you can do. Yes, great things happen when you're proactive, but it's exhausting. So set yourself up for success by having proactive things such as decision-making earlier in the day. It's really, really going to help. Schedule decisions, even the important personal ones for when you have more time. It's why I make my personal decisions on Sundays. I've had the whole of Saturday to recover from a busy week at work. I do not make decisions after work other than what I'm going to buy in the grocery shopping. I really don't make personal decisions that certainly big weighty ones on a weekday. My business takes up so much of my decision-making capabilities, but I do have personal decisions to make. So I make those on Sundays. I make sure I've had my Saturday to recuperate, to take care of myself. I just have lists of things that I might do on a Saturday, so I don't really have to make my decisions. And then my personal important decisions get made fresh on a Sunday. If you do that too, if you start stretching your week in this way, if you start structuring your decision-making habits such that you're always pushing yourself out of your comfort zone with who you should involve, such that you have clear decision-making parameters and delegating parameters and decision-making frameworks with your team, your brain is going to thank me. (laughs) Okay, there's a lot in that. So let's finish up with a leadership mindset moment. Now, in case you're new around here, a leadership mindset moment is an actual tip to help you adjust how you act or think on the topic of today's podcast. I want to talk about your emotions, self-control, and reining in emotions when we're making strategic decisions. Now, in order to make strategic long-term decisions, we know that we can have an emotional reaction. We know that we can feel very stressed out by it. We can have a roller coaster of emotions. It takes a lot of effort, particularly if we are seeing something big on the horizon. Now, some people would get an adrenaline rush, like they will have a flight or fight response. Um, Sometimes we have a survival mechanism kicks in, like we want to stay in this steady state, stay where we are. 
Yeah, certainly. One of the things that I've seen a lot when people are making personal decisions is our brain says, stay where you are. Don't do that. It's uncomfortable. I see this playing out in terms of whether or not to go for the promotion at work, whether to apply for a job, whether or not to put yourself forwards for an award, whether or not to pay for coaching. Our brain says, stay here, stay safe. It is a typical safety mechanism, right? If we stay where we know what life is like, it stops falling off a cliff or getting eaten by a tiger. Not very helpful in the 21st century. So you've got to recognize you're going to have an emotional reaction to some decisions. And that's going to apply to work things too. It's not necessarily quite as obvious in the sense of you want to stay safe for you personally, but your brain is saying, I don't know about this. I don't have that information I need. You've got to manage that uncertainty and the emotional reaction to uncertainty and making a bigger choice. So what can we do about this? Well, it's worth understanding the lengths we go to as human beings to avoid uncertainty, right? We are often paralyzed by uncertainty. So we end up basing our decisions on things that aren't even related. So I would like you to start questioning your attempts to find certainty. If your brain is seeking a sense of security, is seeking more data, ask yourself, is this actually to do with the fact that it's uncomfortable? Is this you trying to achieve some level of emotional self-control? Is it some way of trying to find an acceptable place for you to be? If that's the case, I want you to push through it, right? That's that whole thing of recognize what's actually going on and then decide to take action anyway. If you aren't even aware that you're feeling paralyzed by uncertainty, that you are pushing for more information when there isn't any more, uh, or you are aware you're doing that, but you don't know why, you can't do anything about it. As soon as you understand, it's partly because you have a limited ability to make decisions and a limited ability to step out of your comfort zone every day. And you want to be able to focus our limited time, energy, money, whatever it is, on making the best decisions in the face of an uncertain outcome. You can recognize how to step outside your comfort zone and make a decision anyway. I want to just give a caveat to that. I am not advocating making decisions without doing analysis or making decisions rashly. I am advocating you recognize when you're stalling because you're uncomfortable. You're stalling because you want something to make this somehow easy for you or to tell you it's all going to be okay because nobody can tell you that. But I can also tell you that sometimes not making decisions is absolutely the wrong thing to do and is also potentially the worst thing to do. The number of people I've spoken to over the years who haven't realized that failing to take action has actually been just as damaging as the potential negative of taking the action and it going wrong. It's just the steady state feels like somehow it's going to work out better. If you find yourself getting stuck, investing too much time, resources in the analysis, ask yourself if the uncertainty that you're attempting to resolve is truly resolvable. If not, take action anyway. Your brain will reward you later on, I promise. As always, remember, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. That one statement, get comfortable with being uncomfortable, is quite possibly the most important thing for you as a leader to ensure you're growing, to ensure you're progressing, to ensure that you are always stepping forwards and doing more. That's it for today's episode. Do not forget, doors are open for the Lit Up Leadership Academy for just two more weeks. That's it. And then doors are shut for good. Uh, I have no idea when I'm next going to be open them at some point in next year. I'm not quite sure when. 
So if in doubt, join. You can sign up for just one month. Give it a go. See if it's elevating you. If it's not, you leave after a month. But I'm pretty sure you're going to stay because it is just amazing. Go to tonycollis.com forward slash academy to find out all the details. And of course, if you want to have a chat with me, I am more than happy to do so. But until next time, remember to stay on your tech leadership game. Follow your dreams because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to tonycollis.com and check out Work With Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Woman in Tech podcast.